Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with performance coach and director at Propel Perform, Grant Jenkins. Thanks for tuning in to episode 107 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking with Director of Propel Perform and Performance Coach Grant Jenkins. So Grant's, Grant comes to us from Brisbane uh, and in this episode we discuss everything from Grant uh, working for himself and the kind of process he went through to decide to that, that, was, the, that was the way forward for him. Uh, we discuss job titles, which is definitely amusing. I'm sure you'll um, you'll enjoy that little bit. Um, and then we get on to uh, warm ups and a few different things that um, I'm sure you'll uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy from Grant. So just before we get going, I just want to again introduce Ethan, who is going to be discussing uh, teaching the Olympic lifts as part of the Coach Me Plus Sports Science Minute. So massive thanks to Coach Me Plus for sponsoring the episode today. And huge thanks again, as always, to Val Performance, uh, creators of the Nord Board, for also sponsoring the episode today. So I'll get straight over to Ethan, uh, who'll talk us through uh, teaching Olympic lifts, uh, and then we'll get straight into the episode with Grant. Speak soon. In this Sports Science Minute, I want to have a brief discussion on teaching weightlifting movements. There's really two camps to this, the first one being teaching from the ground up, and then the second one being teaching from the top down. Uh, I've kind of learned both ways. I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer. Uh, it really should depend on how your athletes are progressing through uh, learning the weightlifting movements. Um, a lot of the really advanced Russian weightlifters um, they really think that the best way is to go from the bottom up um, because if you can't pull it, uh, a weight, you know, a snatch or a clean off the ground, uh, clearly you're not going to probably be able to finish the exercise or it's going to be really ugly uh, as far as the technical aspect goes uh, or you could possibly miss the lift. Um, and there is some merit to that. Um, uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Mike Stone, he always um, – when we were going from the floor, always uh, referred to it as it's really a push through the floor. Um, and you, Nick Winkleman has mentioned that in a lot of his external cues. Uh, instead of saying something like pull on the bar, um, it's uh, you push through the floor. Um, but to when you're teaching from the ground up, uh, one of the cues that I learned was uh, knees back. So when the bar is on the floor, um, go knees back, and then that brings you to the uh, right below the knee or right at the top of the knee and then you go knees forward which brings you into the power position and jump and shrug um, and that finishes the movement uh, to the catch of some sort. Um, another cue that I've heard is from Joe Ken with Carolina Panthers uh, and he refers to it as push jump punch. Um, again those are external cues um, you can use them however you want. Uh, really this is just discussion a discussion around um, different ways to teach the weightlifting movements. I've also learned from uh, the top down, uh, which starts at the mid-thigh position, 
Uh, you master mid thigh uh, through different uh, weightlifting derivatives like uh, extent full extensions and high pulls, and then into full cleans and full snatches. Um, once you're proficient at that, technically, you can move on to uh, right at, at the top of the knee. Um, if you really want to break it down even more, once you master at the top of the knee, you can go to below the knee and then from the floor. Um, so there's a ton of different variations you can do here with the weightlifting movements. Um, I think the big thing that uh, is best for you know the coach is to see how your athletes are progressing. Um, I progressed a little quicker uh, in getting to the mid-thigh position and the power position um, and finishing my my lifts and my pull um, when I was learning from the top down. Um, but obviously, uh, I was able to feel more comfortable pulling off the floor when I was learning to uh, pull off the floor. Um, so try that with your athletes, and I hope it helps. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we have Grant Jenkins coming all the way from Brisbane. So welcome to the podcast, Grant. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. So I was going to actually, well, I asked you what your job title was, and there was a little bit of silence, and I was, no, been it, no job title. Let's have a little chat about job titles, because you've you've been on uh, on Twitter and voiced your opinion on the job title, and I'd love to get your opinion on where job titles are going in, in strength and condition, in the industry. don't know what that means, but in the industry. Yeah, Robert, I think that's a funny one. I think Darren Roberts also has some pretty funny um, opinions on it. You know, we we sort of, in our own little bubble, we human performance managers and high performance this and directors of athletic, whatever it is. Um, but take us out of that world and that, and we're just the fitness guy. <laughs> that's all we are <laughs> um, to most people, to our athletes, to the coaches, to the administrators in our national and sport um state sporting organizations, just a fitness guy. And I, um, it's, it's funny. I just don't know what I am really, you know, to some, um, to some of my athletes, I guess I'm a bit of a big brother. Um, and other athletes, I'm more of a dad. Um, and then others, you know, I might be a strength coach. Um, and, and it's how I fit into the, the, the sort of the overall program. And, um, so I, you've heard that saying, um, those who matter do not care, and those who care do not matter. Um, yeah. I kind of subscribe <laughs> to that. That's that's my starting point, and um, it, you know, from there, who cares? And and most of these things, you know, a chiropractor or physiotherapist is pretty well. Um, uh, they've got a definite realm that they work within, and with all of us pulling in different directions, um, I don't think it does our, our cause any, you know, any. It doesn't help us in any way, and um, so I'm not overly fussed by it. Uh, and I just go with, uh, you know, I think physical preparation coach, maybe. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I look. Uh, having said all that, sorry, I'm going on. Um, I do think strength and conditioning does limit us a little bit um, in terms of you know it's not only strength and conditioning. There's a whole bunch of things there. But I just until we agree on one uniform thing, um, and until we standardize it. Uh, you know, who, who actually cares? It's just the fitness guy. So is there, we, we have a thing over here, um, and it's pretty, it's pretty over there as well, kind of bashing the UKSCA or the ASCA equivalent. And 
and, and many people saying that, like the physios, it should be a protected term. And there's obviously uh, some some backlash from that from the from the UKCA because of the logistics and red tape around doing that. But is that ever a, is that ever something that you can see happening in the in the industry that we're in? Ah, uh, look, I do think strength and conditioning is limited. It really is. I'm not really sure. Uh, it's really a battle. For, I think for people who really care, I'm happy for them to take that battle. Uh, I. I from what I understand, and I might be a bit biased because I do a fair amount of stuff with the ASCA here, but I think it's pretty positive here um, in terms of our, the relationship between coaches and the ASCA. They run a fantastic uh, conference at the end of the year, and um, I think for the most part, it's, it's, it is a fairly positive uh, relationship between its co- between the coaches and the organization. And um, but as I said, I, I, I try care, but I really don't. And um, I've, I've played around with it for for a while, and then I kind of just said, "Man, I'm, I'm being an idiot with, with these highfalutin um, titles." And I've just kind of get on with working with my athletes, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, with your experience, I mean, I know you were you were doing some um, some coach education today, but what is your what is your experience? Well, what is your kind of oversight currently of the of the state of the industry and the coaches that you you see pass through the the ASCA system? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I used to start off, Rob, with um, I'd talk about in the beginning of a of a level one or level two about the importance of developing your network, and I hate that term, but it's a, it's a commonly accepted term, and um, you know, developing it and you would have. Uh, I've got an article on my blog where um, there's a talking about it's not what you know, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And I see Vince Kelly has just posted something about it's also who knows what you know. Um, and I used to talk a lot about that because when I first started doing these ASCA level one, level two, there was a big drive for people who wanted to be employed in the AFL, in the NRL, in the EPL, and the you know um, Super Rugby. They, that was sort of the main pathway of, of strength and conditioning. And what I've noticed after over the last two or three years is that people aren't as interested in going that way. Uh, I think CrossFit, you know, if there, there, there are some benefits to CrossFit, and one of those are people are training in their own facilities. I've got my, my own one myself, um, and I've got, I've got no desire to be employed anymore. I'm self-employed, and, and that's the path I'm going, and I'm, the, the network side of it, that sort of little speech or monologue that I used to start off with is becoming less and less re- relevant. And over the last two or three years, I've, I've almost sort of cut it out. Um, whereas I'm sure, you know, when you were starting out, it was important who you knew and, and to pro- progress like that. And that's how it was, especially when I moved to Australia in 2003. But now it's not. Um, and, you know, I've got this little facility, 90 square meters, and we've got uh, world champions training there in a variety of sports. We've got uh, probably maybe six or seven um, Australian representatives from BMX, mountain biking, squash, uh, people who've represented Australians for tennis. And that's just in one small little facility, and I'm sure there's many of them there. So for a lot of us to get our um, sort of high-performance kicks and really challenge ourselves from a you know periodization, programming, planning, perspective um it's not we don't need to be employed anymore 
to work at the top end, you can work with these athletes privately um, in, in, in your own space. And so I've just noticed that um, sort of over the last two or three years, people aren't interested. They're not interested in being employed. They're, they're making enough money and they're, and they're by themselves. Um, so that's that's just one little thing that I've noticed. Um, is, is something similar in the UK happening like that? So do you do you actively seek out these athletes in your own facility, or do you? Is that a byproduct of just your name getting out there, and you actually the the ninety five percent of people that you train in your facility are general pop? Oh, yeah. So um, I'm a bit of a fan of Nassim Taleb. He's, uh, I'm guessing a few people have read his, his work, Anti-Fragility, Black Swan, that kind of stuff. And um, I like his idea of the barbell principle. And um, basically what you're looking at is I, I try to focus on the two extremes of the barbell in terms of the population. I have a very small percentage of um, high-performance athletes and the a large proportion of my clients are general population. So we, we run boot camps and we run, you know, whatever, uh, just sort of basic PT stuff. And I try to keep that proportion um, roughly 20%, 80%. So a small proportion of high performance because they take up a lot of my time and the programming. And right now I've got, I've got uh, BMX in the U.S. and a, a couple of tennis players in, in Asia. And we on Skype and we on WhatsApp and we communicating and training and all that kind of stuff. Whereas my PT clients probably don't get that level of service. And so I've got to keep that balance, um, you know, especially from a financial point of view and from a, I suppose, a mental point of view. And yeah, it's all been word of mouth. I'm actually trying to develop more the um, PT side of it, working with health clients and general population. But I've just found with the athletic population, and you, you guys would know this totally, if one athlete starts showing some success, a lot of their peers are asking, what are they doing differently? Let's try to do the same sort of thing. Um, and so starting off with one BMXer, I now have 17. Uh, same thing's wow. happened with my mountain bike. Are you there? I'm here, mate. Yeah, I'm here, mate. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, so it just grows and I feel like... Um, it has grown because the athletes are, if they've got a slight high-performance mindset, they are chasing, um, you know, whatever the magic or the difference. And so it's easier to spread amongst the athletic population than it is through the general population. So I suppose to answer your question, it's, um, I, yeah, I haven't done any marketing or try to chase. I'm actually trying to go the other way and try to build up my boot camps and my, my PG stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing that I chatted to to Darren about, Darren Roberts about uh, last week, and it's something that if anyone's listened to the episode already, because it came out um, the other day on his on his birthday, um, all yes. all days. Um, Me too. Uh, yes, um, about um, just about the the kind of freedom and um, and actually uh, thinking about yourself as well as your athletes, and I'm guessing that. You obviously went down the path of not wanting to, well, not wanting to, but not aiming to be employed by a sports team, but giving yourself that freedom, uh, that kind of, I suppose, financial freedom and personal freedom to to set up your own facility. But anyone that's anyone that's interested in in going that route, 
what kind of capital was needed to actually get that up and running? And what had you done before then to give you the foundations to be able to give yourself enough credibility to not only get the the athlete, athletic population, but is enough the, the general population? Uh, okay, so uh, the first one, is, I don't have a very good answer. I'm actually based out of a rugby, a rugby club. Okay. And so my capital outlay was very low. I've got um, some of my own equipment that I've just collected over the years, a few barbells, um, a set of Eleco plates, good ham rays, and I just struck a deal with, with the club. Um, where I get priority access over certain times and they get access over certain times. Um, I, I'm employed by the club um, to work as a bit of strength and conditioning and we set up some intern programs and stuff like that. So there's a bit of a give and take from that side. Um, Rob, financially, I'm very conservative. I'm very, uh, you know, I'm probably not, I'm not, when it comes to finance, especially since I've got two kids and a, and, uh, a mortgage and so forth, uh, I spent a lot of time protecting what I've got. Um, so it didn't take a lot to outlay, but um, I was involved in the in the purchasing of the equipment. And for just under 20 grand, we've got a, a facility that, as I mentioned, has got a, a number of, um, well, a full range of people, I guess, from general population with, uh, to junior development athletes to high-performance athletes. And I keep things very basic. It's... Um, you know, we squat, we deadlift, we some might do some cleans, we do some single leg work, we do some posterior chain stuff, and we do a push and a pull, um, you know, and a few other things. So it's very basic and it caters to everyone. Um, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm really happy with is because it's a sort of a bit of a dingy rugby gym, the level of client that comes in, uh, and I'm talking about the general population, the PT side of it, they're not looking to be pampered. Um, they can't be. It, it's not that kind of gym. So I get to work with just real people who who want to get stronger, maybe improve their 5K time or, you know, lose a few kgs. But they've got the right mindset and something that I can identify with. They're just sort of simple people that set some goals and, and I'm going to help them achieve it. Uh, so keeping that has been a sort of a, a really nice side effect of having things so simple and so basic in the gym is that it's no one's going to um, no one comes in with any airs and graces because we all sort of in this little ninety square meter sweat box. Um, <laughs> although in February this year we we had a, an air conditioner. One of the club sponsors was a was an air conditioning pre, uh, company, so they chucked in an aircon, which is much appreciated, but never sought after. Nice. Um, to answer part part B of that question, um, I think. It just actually, it just evolved really. Um, I, I never went, I intentionally was trying to get into out of high performance. Um, I was with Tennis Australia and it took me about two years to to sort of exit from there uh, with the goal of setting up my own facility. And uh, I um, started working with Skate Australia. And Skate Australia look after a whole bunch of anything on wheels, small wheels, so uh, roller derby and inline skating and skateboarding. And and I think this is a pretty common theme as well. Because I've been working with them, I had a, a, an approach from a, um, a, a BMXer, and, you know, sort of that extreme slash action sports mindset, and they probably trusted me a little bit. And then that started to build, and then because I had BMXers, then 
um, motocross started to contact me. And then because I've had that, then mountain bike started to contact. Um, so it just it really grew organically from all that. Um, and it wasn't anything that I chased. In fact, as I, as I said, I was trying to shun it. Um, but they're just awesome athletes that I work with. And um, I think that just makes it easy to get up and, and because they are paying, each one of them are paying me to be there. So, um, you know, it's an awesome part of the job. So for something like a BMXer, for instance, what's the process, what's the process that you went through with your first guy to look at demands of the sport and provide a service that, that meets those demands? What was that process? What that process looked like? And then what was the outcome? All right. So to understand, to understand that process, I suppose I've got to first explain my philosophy. So anyone who comes into the gym, I have three stages that they're going through. First stage is healthy person. So we do some assessment, some testing, if you will, uh, that make sure that very basically they are they can move adequately, that there's no real glaring imbalances between left and right. They've got decent coordination, hip mobility. Uh, basic strength, body awareness, all that kind of stuff. And depending on what program they're coming from, uh, the healthy person can be anything from a couple of sessions to, you know, close to six months if someone's coming back from an injury, or I suppose nine months from an ACL. So that's my first goal, and I'm quite upfront about that we're not going to do any BMX-specific, mountain biking-specific, squash-specific training. We're just trying to get them to be a healthy person, move well. Second phase of that is then, a healthy athlete and this again depends on their background and a whole number of factors but it's from healthy person to healthy athlete now I want them to uh, be a little bit more explosive uh, for my developmental athletes I, I want to give them the opportunity that that if they quit their sports and pick up another sport I feel like they could go okay that they not just limited to being on the bike or limited to whatever they you know they've, they've been doing so we go healthy athlete and, and, you know, just general athleticism. So that's hopping, jumping, crawling, uh, you know, pushing, pulling, all, all those kind of uh, movements. And then from there, then we start talking about a, a healthy sports person. And so healthy person, healthy athlete, healthy sports person. That's when we start getting into the specificity of things. So because uh, I worked, I started working with younger BMXs, um, Many of them are still on that healthy, uh, healthy person slash healthy athlete phase. I've only got a few that are really, and, and they've taken some time to develop. Um, and so, if you understand that, then there was no real pressure for me to understand the demands of the sport because I just wanted them to be healthy. Uh, but having understood that and understanding the, the philosophy of that, I, I did spend a fair amount of time on YouTube. I'm just seeing coaching videos, uh, track videos, uh, GoPro videos, anything I could to understand um, not only the physical demands but the mental um, the mental space that a lot of these athletes in. And uh, to give you an idea, Rob, so the elite BMXs that we just had state champs um, two weekends ago, they the elite guys start off an eight-meter hill, and at the bottom of the hill, within about – 2.3 seconds, they're hitting 64, 65 Ks an hour. And I've been at the top of that hill. And if you go, if you find a, um, you know, like a, a GoPro video of this, 
you'll see that in this particular hill, you when you're at the top, you don't actually get to see the whole hill because it kind of fades away. Right. And these guys have to accelerate that, and then they hit a jump, and they're probably traveling 10 meters in the air. So this this was more important, less from a physiological point of view, but to understand these are the kind of athletes that I'm dealing with that – you know, uh, again, if you mention Darren Roberts again, he's getting way too much airtime on this one. But if we <laughs> mention Darren Roberts again, you, you see, you know, he's got the hashtag herding cats and so forth, and that's yeah. um, you know, that's what we're doing. These are these are different personalities, and um, so, but but getting back to what your question, I I wanted to understand them as a sport or as an individual before I was really too concerned and that process of getting them to be a healthy person. Um, and you've got to remember, so I've got an 11-year-old BMXer who twice this year uh, has broken his arm and broken his um, collarbone, sorry, well, broken his collarbone once and broken his his, his, um, his arm once. And what are we, 10 months into the year? He's 11 years old. So injuries are a massive part of this, um, uh, you know, these sports. Um, but, yeah, so YouTube was massive for me. Um, going out and watching training, watching competition, um, and then talking to their coaches. So one of the things that I've, I've sort of set up is each of my athletes, I have a athlete, sometimes the parent, and definitely their coach. We have a little WhatsApp group. You know the, the, the uh, what do you call it, text message? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, WhatsApp. So we, we have a little coaching group there, and that way, you know, the coach can film training, put it up there, I can film what's going on in the, in the gym anytime they get some good numbers, you know, push-ups or whatever, vertical jump, it gets posted on there, how they're feeling. Um, and then we're all on the same page. So I've got probably uh, like 22 or 23 of these WhatsApp groups where I send information and receive information. And that's been very helpful. The coaches have been really good about embracing me from, uh, you know, without a history in these sports and sort of taking me on and educating me. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've just been able to be very sort of privileged to have those kind of people to be surrounded with so I can I can have a chat and, and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Does it make sense to your paradigm? So that so do you have a similar structure? Um, obviously, it's going to differ with, with regard to the kind of terminology of these um, these phases, but do you have a similar phase structure for the general pop athletes or general pop um, guys? Obviously, not athletes, general pop guys. That they come in, they do yeah, yeah. certain things, that they tick certain boxes, some will move on, some will stay put. Yeah, uh, but we pretty much just don't have that, that third phase. So the yeah, first phase... Yeah. Um, is just going through the motions. But you know what, Rob? Like, if you teach people to squat properly, which is part of it, um, maybe some scapular retraction on their, on some rowing exercise, some, um, some lunging and making sure their hips are, you know, stable, it's amazing. One of my catchphrases, and you'll hear me say this a thousand times healthy hips, healthy athlete, adapted to healthy hips, healthy person. You look after that kind of stuff. Suddenly, back injuries and, and, and fatigue and, and pain starts to dis- disappear. Those knee injuries and niggling things start to disappear. And um, so, by taking care of that healthy person um, and just teaching them really good technique and lifting and getting a bit stronger, we see that they sort of shuffle along that, um, that continuum to a healthy weight loss, healthy 
um, you know, 5K run or whatever their goals are. Mm-hmm. So what So what have you learned from, I'm taking this uh, this phrase from Jeremy Shepard, which I thought was cool as hell, which that what have you learned from the dude sports that have, that tra- maybe transferred into the, into the general pop and the tennis guys or soccer guys or whatever it may be, the other guys that you work with, what have you learned from them dude sports? Okay, so um, it, it's funny. So a, a few years ago, I'm working with Tennis Australia and we're down in a, a little uh, town near Melbourne called Turolgan. And at, they have this tournament there every year. It's a lead up to the Australian Open. And this, I was working with a bunch of junior athletes. And um, I'm you know, a paid, well-paid strength and conditioning coach with maybe four or five tennis players. Some of, the, you know, some of these guys are some of the best in the world. And we're going through whatever we're doing, dynamic warm-ups or whatever, and preparing them for the match. And right next to this, these tennis courts was a skate park slash BMX park. And, and this is, I'm talking about 2008, 2009. And I remember looking back at these guys who were all skating and BMXing and whatever. No coach, no warm-up, no activation drills, no, um, no periodization, no three-year plan on on their athletic ability, no, no recovery, no KPIs. And I just remember thinking, what the hell are we doing? Like, these guys were self-motivated. They were there on their own volition, their own accord. They, um, you know, pushing each other. They had a great atmosphere. Um, if one person tried something, someone else would try better it. And I just thought, you know, in this sort of almost – bleached world of high performance sports where we we're trying to take what the top guys do and mix it into development i just remember that that being a real clear thought of like what the hell am i doing with these guys um because i think those athletes on the skate ramp and the bmx park were better than the athletes i was trying to produce or develop um so in terms of learning like i i just think that you know one thing is if we understand the difference between top-down and bottom-up, top-down is when the coach stands in, tells us what to do, and tells the athlete, you guys have to do this. And bottom-up is when it just happens organically, um, often applied to you know uh, polit- political systems and stuff like that. And I just think that so many sports um, have gone this top-down, adult-led, coach-driven type of paradigm where – you know, I've got people who are, they come, no one's coming, no one's making anyone uh, come to see me for strength and conditioning. They're just doing it on there um, because they want to improve. There's no one telling them that they have to do this. And I just think that in a lot of our sports that we've got, especially the sort of more mainstream sports that we see on the week, you know, every weekend on TV, they're just taking adult programs and just cookie cutting them onto junior athletes and uh, I just think we don't need to do that but because of our own KPIs as state managers or whatever coaches or whatever we we feel we have to do this and I just love the free spirit and yet there's still a, a, an intensity don't get me wrong these guys are, are not shirking their training or anything like that these guys are training if not harder just as hard as these professional athletes but they're doing it with a, um, a spark uh, in their eyes, a, a sort of a love in their hearts, just a freedom in their minds. And I think, 
I don't think traditional sports can go back to that. I'm, I'm sure they couldn't. There's just too much money. There's too much invested and we're too far down the path. But on a much smaller scale, if I was working again and I was employed, I'd be looking at that skate park, that BMX park, and saying, how can I create that for my own athletes in my rugby league club or my cricket club or my school sports? And how do I get these athletes to be so inspired and so challenged and so driven without an adult, you know, sort of with a whip standing above them? Um, how, how can I recreate that? That's what I'd be looking at. So how would, how would you go about that if you could go back 10 years and, and do it all again? If I had to do it all again, say, with tennis or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's interesting. So I was at Tennis Australia for five years. And Rob, for the first three years, we were mainly left alone. I had a, a very strong head coach who I had a great relationship with, and we had a very similar philosophy. And the philosophy was um, working mainly with developmental athletes. If we can get them to love the sport and tr- and learn to train hard, that's all we can really control. We we know that the you know to produce a champion is an outlier. So we said let's just control and let's just make training engaging and fun and uh, and, and it was it was we had athletes who were. Um, doing more than they needed to. and But then the last two years, some things changed. And I think, you know, with the investment, Tennis Australia needed to see some KPIs and make us measure things and test things. And we actually had to test every single athlete twice a year or four times a year or something like that. And it was amazing. It had, it had a massive effect because now it went from doing things for fun or because they're a challenge to doing them because someone external is making us. And if I had to change one thing, I would have, I think I should have been stronger. I should have pushed back harder because there's nothing that happens in my facility now that is not beneficial for the athlete. I don't do anything uh, to tick a box. I never say that term, tick a box. And, and yet a lot of my colleagues and I are, yeah, we did a beep test to tick a box. We did this. Oh, I don't really believe in it, but I had to do it to tick a box. We don't do that. We just say, what does the athlete need? Um, and and let, let's provide that. So, you know, I have sessions in the gym where it's just a stretch. I have sessions in the gym where it's just a chat. Um, there, there's some tears, you know, maybe a cuddle. Um, but it's what the athlete needs and nothing else, nothing external affects that. And if I feel um, I've actually lost a few athletes, um, especially, oh, well, I've lost three athletes, two of them returned, um, who had parents who I didn't agree with what they were doing. And I said, guys, we, you know, this is not acceptable and I'm not going to train like this. And so they left and two then came back and one hasn't. Um, and I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm very comfortable with that because I know that everyone who's with me wants to be with me. And I know that the athletes there because they want to be. If I suspect that mom and dad are, are, you know, pushing them to do something, well, then we have a chat. And if they continue to do it, then they leave. And so that would be one thing is just really finding the fun and just doing what is necessary um, for the athletes and finding that love of the sport that many of the athletes that I'm working with have already. Um, and, and, and not trying to put out that fire by doing too much or ticking boxes. 
Just going to take a very quick break in the episode with Grant uh, in part two. You can look forward to Grant discussing uh, warm-ups uh, and I give a little bit of an insight into my experiences um, as an SNC coach during warm-ups and it's been the first thing that kind of gets gets put on a, a young strength coach and how that's kind of dealt with or in my case not dealt with. Um, but just before we get into part two, uh, I just want to reiterate the, the thanks I'm going to give to uh, Coach Me Plus and Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, for sponsoring the episode today. So without them guys, uh, it definitely won't be um, definitely won't be able to uh, carry on doing this podcast. So make sure you check them both out. Um, I'll get into, back into part two with Grant. I hope you enjoy and I will speak to you soon. Just want to move on a, a little bit, and um, I basically stalked your uh, your blog and went through all the posts and had a little read again of, of some of the stuff that I'd uh, read and had a little chuckle about pre six months ago, nine months ago. And one thing that came into my mind was was the warm up, and it made me think about pre five six years ago when I started and a football club soccer club and the first thing that was kind of the big the big step was rob can you do the warm up for me today and it was it was one of them oh shit i'm i'm going to break everyone everyone's not going to be ready and it was the first kind of um kind of rite of passage to we kind of trust you a little bit um and give me the give me the opportunity to do the warm up with the first team lads which was uh which was an interesting one. I just it just brought me back to um, to that situation and and got me thinking that um, and just wanted your thoughts on the whole on the warm up and you've mentioned it there with the skateboarders and that yeah, there's no warm up for them guys they just get on the board and off they go. How do you how do you kind of cope with that with them guys and is there any re-education there and how does that then feed into the the other athletes and the traditional sports and the and the general pop. Uh, guys and girls. Uh, so I think from from a, the warm up point of view, um, as I said, and I'm already this is probably the second or third time already saying it. Um, healthy hips, healthy athletes. So there's because I guess because I say it so much, um, I emphasise it a fair amount, and it's sort of hammered into my to my athletes that that's what we do. That's sort of a, a non-negotiable. What that looks like, however, is, is very uh, individual specific, not so much from a point of view of um, the exercise, but maybe how it's done. So, for example, some people have a more structured warm-up where I'm kind of saying, hey, three sets of 10 and two sets of eight or whatever, hold this position, whereas uh, some of them are, I just need you to get under the hurdle and over the hurdle a few times and, and we kind of, they, they just sort of play a little game about the, the hurdle is meant to be electrified and if they touch it, this happens and that happens and whatever and, and, and I get them to work that way. Um, yeah, I think from my side, um, the warm-up's just got to be part of the, the training and it's a good, good place to get some extra work done that they might not think is extra work. And it's just a good way of – I'm not convinced that the warm-up is that beneficial for that, the immediate session, I think, because we have – you know, we do a warm-up then for each exercise and build from there. Uh, but I think the warm-up is a nice place to get some body awareness. I think it's sort of more those softer kind of fuzzier things. 
body awareness, get them um, working on something that over six weeks we'll start to see a difference, eight weeks we'll start to see a difference. And um, I think that is where how I sort of frame my warm-up. But Rob, I don't feel like I've answered your question. I might have gone on a tangent there. What, um, am I close or do you want No, that's all right. <laughs> no, it, it was just – no, it was it was kind of a little bit of a just a, a, a kind of backtracking from my thoughts really um, just when I mentioned the how I got into thinking about a warm-up because I was kind of chutching the deep end because one of the guys wasn't there and I had to do it for the first team and had the piss taken out of me and things like that, which was uh, which was interesting. Um, it's so funny it was just – Sorry. Go on. No, go on. Uh, oh, it's funny, so because one of the things that I I take on about ten interns a year, and uh, I just hammer in from day one, and I never really thought about it. But what you say brings up a good point. Like, so I make sure that every intern um, has a, some kind of default warm up, and the the idea behind that is exactly that is that they uh, that is often the first time that you you get to you know run a session. And, um, and it sets the tone for the rest of the session. And, um, and this definitely would have happened to every strength and conditioning coach. Is a, the coach said, hey, Rob, you've got 20 minutes to do a warm-up, and you plan this fantastic thing, and then their meeting goes for 17 minutes, and they go, oh, by the way, now you've only got three minutes. <laughs> um, and so every intern that comes in has to be very well prepared on, on warm-ups, and they've got – we have, um, and so it's one of the first things we work on is making sure that they can, um, you know, run it. They can do it indoors, outdoors, in a static. So if it's raining outside, you're in the change rooms. They can do it that way. Um, and I think from a coach's perspective, yeah, it, it 100% sets the tone. And uh, whether it's for the game, for the for the match, for the competition, or, or just for training, and I think it's a it's a vital thing to have. I mean, just again, this is making me uh, reflect, which is quite nice. When I think back to the kind of early days of of, um, of me being thrust into the warm ups, I look back and I think how many how many variations of that that kind of default that you talk about did I have? And in the early days, I don't think I had that many. And if I put putting myself in the athlete's shoes, I'd have been bored to death. Because yeah. I was I was nervous about them them first them first team guys um, taking the piss out of my hair taking the piss out of because I was lanky taking the piss out of something I just stuck to the default and didn't kind of almost dare move and yep. it just brought me back to a a quote that um, one of the Italian players uh, who I think is playing New York soccer players wrote in his book and said the warm-up was the masturbation for the fitness coach. And it kind of, mm -hmm. it, it made me think that that is, from a player's point of view, that can definitely be seen as the case. And I, I, look, I look on the TV and I've, I've watched the, the team that I was, um, that I was working for. And the, the staff are still running that same warm-up, not mine, but their own. Really? Yeah. And I just yeah. think, oh my God, if as an 18 year old player, I'd have been thinking, you know, this is the warm-up, this is just how it is. But if I was the 32, 33-year-old guy who was coming to the end of his career and was still in the same warm-up, I'd be what I'd be walking off and just say, I'm doing my own thing. And it definitely, yeah, it definitely I'm... does come across as the masturbation for the fitness coach, which yeah. no, no. is definitely worrying. Um so yeah, that was just uh that was just kind of my thoughts. 
But I think, and, yeah, and the it funny does, thing is, Rob, you can do so much with it. You can play games. Absolutely. You can, you know, be yeah. quite linear in it. You can be quite structured. You can. Um, I have any time we run a warm up as I get to know, you know, especially in those football or team based things. I intersperse 30 seconds or 60 seconds for them to do whatever they want to do because um, I, I don't know what's tight. Um, I don't know what's what's sort of hurting or what they've discovered while they started warming up. Uh, but, yeah, again, you'll, you'll probably notice I much prefer the bottom up and get the athletes involved and get them engaged and educate them so they can actually make their own decisions than the sort of more traditional top-down, this is how it should be done because – you know, I, I've got my degree. And, um, yeah. so, you know, by infusing you know, that kind of stuff in, it could be a lot of fun. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I think as S&C coaches, while we might be giving something that's scientifically valid and reliable, we've got to remember that our athletes are people first and uh, you've got to make it fun and exciting and, um, you know, something that they can actually enjoy and, and give them an opportunity to be engaged in. No, definitely. And another thing was the, the first team manager or first team coach or even youth team coach, and I was um, more likely, was um, was always there. So it was, this has got to be structured. This has got to look like I'm in control. Everyone's doing something. Everyone's in a line. Everyone's doing this. Everyone's doing that. When, because gotcha. I probably thought if something to the opposite of that happens, they're going to think that the lads are running riot. But then on the flip side, the lads would love to do something like that. And this is making me cringe even more for the stuff that used to be done five or six years ago. Um, and I'd love that as, an, as, a, as a player. So you, you, you go out and you, you don't know what's going to happen. Whereas with me, you, you were kind of 90% sure that it was it, what was, you know, the structure that was going to be, um, be put out for you. So I'm, yep. I'm definitely reflecting um, on the warm-up. And again, a walk down Amnesia Lane. Um, one of the things that happens is we... Um, yeah, we're so interested in the science side of it that, and the physical side of it, but, you know, they need to improve their reactions and, and, and perception and we need to identify, I don't know, space or improve their skills and all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, you're 100% correct. And with those warm-ups and with those games that you could play, I mean, start off maybe with a bit of structure. And I understand this because, you know, we've all gone through it where you're trying to uh, as much impress the athletes as you are trying to impress the, the coach, I guess. And But that chaos is what's going to happen the minute the, the warm-up finishes because that's what they're going to hopefully go into is a game or some kind of game-based conditioning or some kind of tactical thing or something like that. So we need to actually prepare them for that. Mm -hmm. And whereas many of us thinking purely physiological or physical, we do the structured warm-up and then say, oh, guys, by the way, go sprint, change direction, run, you know, get off the ground, <laughs> react, decide, um, perceive. Uh, and, and our warm-up is not actually preparing them for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So just before I um, – well, I'm going to do a little roundup, Grant, and just uh, yep. just ask you one more question regarding Propel uh, Perform and just – what was what was the what was the thought behind that when you were when you set up the website? Oh, <laughs> uh, setting the website or setting up the name? Yeah, setting well, the name if you want, but just the website and the blog and things. Is that just a place to to kind of um, 
draw people to to make them aware of the kind of things you do or was it a separate entity within just in itself as a bit of an education for you to put your thoughts forward what what, what was the um what was the thought behind the blog um so when i was so you got to understand so i gave myself sort of two years to to exit out of tennis australia and I was just playing with a few things and I, I only knew I was going to leave once I could pay the bills with external, you know, consulting fees and all that kind of stuff. And I just needed a, a name. And what where the name came from is we tried a million different things, but I wanted my Instagram, Twitter and website to all be the same. So that's where the name came from. I just kept entering things and then I'd find it on, it was free on Twitter, but it was, you know, there was a URL with it and then whatever. So there's nothing special about the name. But w- when it started off, it was literally just going to be a contents page. Uh, sorry, not a contents page, a contact page. Mm-hmm. And it was just going to be something along the lines of, hey, if you need to contact me or there it is, um, and an email, like a domain for an email address. So it's just be grant yeah. at whatever. Uh, and then... I remember writing some thoughts down that I'd written for some other websites over the years. And I just put a collection of those on. And then we started to get, you know, some kind of traction. It was more than just my mother reading the articles and you in the last nine months. <laughs> um, and, and so it just kind of went from there. And then, you know, like I've got uh, Brendan Appleby. I asked him if he'd write an article and he wrote something. And Ian McCowan was, you know, uh, I suppose a number of guys that you've had on this podcast. Yeah, and what I wanted it to be is, from a coaching perspective, as much as I I love that bottom up over the top down, but I also like the the messiness, the the this the you know we 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 plan this, but this is actually what happens. I like that nitty gritty, the sort of sinew, like really get down into the coaching, and um, the people that I was contacting are those kind of practitioners. There's no one really too sciencey or. They're just good people, good coaches with lots of runs on the board, and um, so I, and we shared that, and it just became quite popular. Um, and it was also just a place to get, you know, a lot of the stuff that I put there is is not backed by any peer-reviewed article. It's just like, hey, I did this, and for ten years I did it wrong, and now I think it's a little bit better. So learn from my journey. Um, and Rob, one of the reasons I take these 10 interns is I try to pass on some of that experience and knowledge um, as well. Uh, and it's just a sort of, hey, you know, I had some really good mentors when I was younger. And, and people I still reflect and contact and, and ask for advice for. So if I can provide some of that for someone else, I, um, I kind of feel like I'm maybe co- contributing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. Nice. Um, well, I was gonna, and then, I was as it turned out, sorry, mate, I was just going to say, as it turned out, um, it's also been really good because I work with a number of younger athletes. I can put articles there that are of questions that I'm asked, being asked every day, and put it up there so that I can either, you know, for further reading, flick that on, or if I'm um, so. Propel Perform is the, the actual website is meant to be for coaches, athletes, and parents. Just things that happen every day. There's nothing too exciting about them, but it's all real stuff um, and something that hopefully you can make you a better coach, athlete, or parent after reading a few of those articles. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, I was going to ask you where people can find you, but 
It's Propel Perform on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, yeah, we've changed. <laughs> I have changed one little thing, and um, Instagram we we made it Propel Fit. So I've actually got two businesses now, and the reason is, and, and I think many of your listeners will appreciate this. I think there's a number of keyboard warriors who are on there, and they hardly train anyone. And if they do train, it's some you know a few housewives or whatever. But they talk up their game like they're working with elite athletes, um, and I, I never wanted that to happen. So we've got two distinct things: Propel Perform, and those are the athletes. Um, if you see anyone wearing a Propel Perform shirt, it's because they are an athlete; they're competing um, on a regular basis. And then I've got Propel Fit, which is for my general population and, and also where I do the rehab kind of stuff um, for non-athletes. And so Instagram just happened to be Propel Fit, and Twitter stayed Propel Perform. <laughs> but uh, nice. that's the sort of that was the thinking behind it is to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm quite comfortable uh, training boot camps and all that kind of stuff, um, and I also feel just as comfortable working with some elite athletes. Um, and but I understand that what I provide is going to be for specific to that population. Brilliant. Well, I'm just going to do a little roundup, uh, as I said I'd do uh, a couple minutes ago, and just thank you for your thank you for your time, and uh, it was good to chat. And sorry about the mix, but I start with my dodgy mic. Uh, Rob, absolute pleasure, and it's, it's been quite a bit of fun. And obviously, I've I've listened to a number of the podcasts, so it feels like quite an honour to. Is this 106 or something? Is that would that be close? Uh, it'll be somewhere, yeah, it'll be somewhere around there, 106, 107, something like that. Yeah, depending on how other things uh, turn out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So you just so just follow just following Darren actually, just a couple a couple after Darren. Darren's part two. Yeah. But don't mention him to insult me like that. Darren spent a bit of time in Brisbane, and he presented. I run a thing called the Junior Sports Science um, Junior Sports Science Symposium, and he, and he was really good in that in that. Um, presenting to a lot of my parents of my athletes so um yeah i, I don't mind mocking him <laughs> absolutely not deserves a bit of it right mate well um let's keep in touch and uh thanks again for your time awesome. and we'll uh we'll speak absolutely. soon all right awesome rob thanks very much eh? thanks mate thanks for tuning in to episode 107 of the pacey performance podcast So as always, I always make sure that I thank the sponsors for uh, sponsoring the episode today in CoachMe Plus and Val Performance. But the biggest thanks should go to you guys and the guys that tune in every week um, and even even those that dip in and out. So just thanks to to you guys for uh, for your continued support. So if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, be sure to jump over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. It all goes to to help spread the word of the podcast. So thanks a lot again for your support, uh, and I will speak to you again in episode 108.